too many people off guard i guess if you're not within three minutes okay you're not early you're late anyway right so we're gonna run a little bit early today uh we're gonna talk about a lot of crazy crap that's going on today um i just had one of those days where you wake up and you feel like talking about this stuff sometimes i think we talk about it a lot in our lives like not necessarily on a podcast but we do just to kind of maintain our sanity if we can't look out at this stuff and understand it and and still go on then we get kind of in our heads with it. And uh, so I think talking about it's good. And it, it's uh, it's like talking about the weather in a way. I don't mean like small talk. I mean, a lot of this stuff, there's not a lot you can do about it. So, but by talking about it and understanding it, you're able to build your life with an understanding, hey, this storm might come. So anyway, what are we going to talk about today? We're going to talk about uh, this new thing I just heard about today. Uh, MIT is apparently... Uh, along with others, developed a way, at least in theory, and the prototypes work, uh, to beam electricity from space to Earth. Uh, put a satellite up in space, big, giant, bigger than a space station, bunch of solar panels, and get sun all the time because it's in space. And then beam the electricity to Earth. What could go wrong? I'm sure that it's totally safe. The guy says it's totally safe in the video, and he's the one building it, so we have to trust him. Uh, we'll talk about that. China is printing money. I didn't – this one actually kind of got by me. I've been wondering what's going on with the rate hikes and quantitative tightening and everything. And, I, you know, I've said that I think it's like we're in a recession that's weird, you know. Um, well, what we actually have is uh, counterbalance. I didn't realize China was printing as much money as they are. They're printing trillions of dollars, multi-trillions of their own currency. And you might not understand how that interacts with the U.S. economy, but you will at the end of today. Noster Zaps are back. If you don't pay attention to Noster, you may not know this, but the main app that people use on the iPhone for Noster is uh, called Domus. And uh, the developer was required to move, remove the Zap function. I just turned off auto updates and I still use it the old way and it still works. Um, but you won't have to now. You'll be able to have the latest uh, thing. But I want to talk about it from a standpoint of why protocols are better than platforms and how this could never happen with a platform, but it can happen with a protocol. And I want to use that to prime a little bit of tomorrow's episode. It's going to be about the merger of Bitcoin and AI in a way that I think will kind of blow you away if you give it a shot and listen at it. Um, I made some comments on Ukraine on the last expert panel show, which was over a week ago. So it's last Friday, not the last Friday, but the last, last Friday. And I said something would happen and it did. And, and what I want to talk about is how it's very clear to me that people that get upset with me for my take on what's going on with Ukraine, the Ukraine Russo war, um, you don't listen to what I say, and you also have fundamentally no knowledge whatsoever about what's going on in Ukraine and how we got to where we are today. Uh, I'm going to give you a resource if you actually want to cure your ignorance instead of just running your mouth at somebody that doesn't know you or care about you at all. Uh, but the best resource I've 
found. It's about a 30 minute video by a really smart dude named uh, Colonel Douglas McGregor that gives the full history of everything that's going on. Include it, it, it brings in stuff about Taiwan as well. Uh, really worth a listen. And on this, um, Biden, Brandon, just gave more weapons to Ukraine. I'm not complaining here about the money or being involved in the first place. This is the type of weapon that the Biden administration gave them. It's a weapon that uh, the Biden administration officially last year said if Putin were to use this weapon, it would probably be a war crime. It's a weapon that's banned by most modern nations from use in the world. But why do you hear the excuse for why we're giving it to them? And you might want to look inward at that point and think, is this really smart for us to be doing if we're in this situation ourselves? Yeah. It'll kind of blow you away, I think, when you hear about it. Then the media hates a new movie. A new movie. It's about child trafficking. We'll talk all about that. But it's called The Sound of Freedom, and it's a huge hit. It did better than Indiana Jones, which was a terrible remake from my understanding. I haven't seen this movie yet, but I want to. Um, but look, why, why would the media hate something that shines a light onto child trafficking so much? They've gone into a full, like, I haven't seen the media this in a tizzy over something since the, the initial onset of Trump derangement syndrome. This is like the, the article. Um, that was published by Rolling Stone is a book like this person that wrote this, like seriously lost their mind over it. And you got to ask yourself why, why there's so much pushback against something that would let people know about how serious this problem really is. Um, then, you know, we're going to take another look at China. We're talking about China printing money, China's money printer go burr. But, you know, China, you, it's almost impossible to own a gun in China. Um, most airsoft guns are illegal in China. I covered years ago a, a guy that received a shipment of airsoft guns through some sort of accident, and they threw them in prison in China for like 25 years for airsoft toys that were shipped out of all places, Taiwan. Um, but yet they're having like mass stabbings in China. We'll talk about that and how there is always a threat, always a threat. Unbelievable that people don't understand this. And then I'm going to talk a little bit more. Friday I mentioned that I'm kicking around the idea of maybe trying to do the community thing one more time, uh, buy a piece of land, sell lots on it, something like that. The interest was huge, but I can tell, by the way, some of the interest is coming in. It is not clear what I meant when I said it's just an idea right now. And uh, people are starting to put together all these different ideas. And this is going to be something that I'm going to have to completely – uh, button down and then present, but I'm going to throw some other ideas. And I'm not saying I don't want your ideas coming in, but there were certain responses to it. And there was a ton of responses. Hey, I'm in, I'm interested, what have you that show me that some of us are completely on different pages with it for right now, because this has to be done totally differently. And uh, someone here was asking me about uh, builder of castles in the pre before the show went up live, he said, uh, "Have you found any good legal structure to build community under? The only things I have found require straight donation. The investors have to trust enough to just give the money. Yeah, we're not doing anything that's going to be presented as an investment here. That's a big part of what got in the way of doing it the way I wanted to the last time I thought about doing this. 
So this won't be an investment other than buying real estate is an investment. This will be a development. You buy a lot, at, and then there's going to be certain things that control how that community runs. In the in the same vein as like an HOA, except an HOA for good, uh, not for restricting, but for defining the community itself. Anyway, uh, let's let's uh, start off with our sponsor of the day today, and I got a great one for you today. Paul Wheaton is at it again. This he went and put together a bundle. Uh, of permaculture uh, educational materials. He's actually called it the Permaculture Adventure Bundle. It's 43 different information products, ebooks, videos, etc. Um, partnered with some really great folks. If you just look at the image, if you're watching the video, you'll see there's a lot of uh, familiar names on there. Look Free Academy, John Bush uh, is definitely involved, and some other folks. Anyway, if you were to buy each of these 43 items individually, it would cost over 500 bucks. They're on sale right now for $35. You get the whole bundle, 35 bucks, between now and July the 14th. On July 4th, or July 15th, I guess, the price goes up. How much? I don't know because Paul's uh, admin who works with me on this, when I said goes up how much, didn't get me an answer yet. I don't think it will go to full price. But it won't be this cheap. So you got four days to act on this. I would get this while you can. Um, there's a link in the video notes below if you're watching the video. If you're listening to the audio, there's a link in the audio notes. This write-up's on my website about it. You can get over to Paul's site and buy it there. Uh, definitely one of the ones that you you know really want to check out if you uh, you want to up your game in the world of uh, permaculture. So let's let's move on from here. I want to. This 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 is, I guess, our lead story today. And for those that are on the video, I'm going to be playing this in the background while I talk about it. I'm not going to play the audio on it because I'm afraid the audio without the video won't really translate well. Uh, but the video may be helpful in understanding what I'm talking about here. So MIT and this this guy that they'll have on the screen here in just a minute who will be interviewing have developed this tech, and the idea is that they can transmit power in a microwave beam across space. And they're going to show in this video here in just a moment, you'll see some examples of it being used at small scale in an office building where a little device is you know, making a drone fly or something like that. There's literally no power, there are no batteries in the device that's being powered. All the power is coming from a remote. Think Nikola Tesla idea here is, is, is kind of what we're talking about. So it sounds really, really cool. But the plan is they're going to put a huge number of these panels in orbit in space. Each one of these panels being about the size of a football field, but being very, very lightweight, very, very lightweight, and just up there like this, this, this fleet of sails. Uh, they see this being way bigger than the International Space Station. It'd be the largest structure ever put into space. And so collectively, that's a lot of power. And then they're going to beam the power down to Earth so that we have free energy. Of course, we'll have to pay for it. I do have a link in the notes for you where you can listen and actually watch the video yourself. And they kind of acknowledge that at the end. Yeah, you have to pay for it. They also, of course, give you the whole... 
underprivileged uh, bullshit that they always put spin on this stuff. Imagine being able to get power to people in the middle of the Sahara Desert. I don't think there's a huge demand for that. I really don't. I find a couple interesting things here. One, the person that posted it on Noster, which is how I found it, mentioned, you know, basically all of this is going to be funded with tax dollars. This is all research, right? It's being done at, at MIT, right? So the people behind it are going to get stinking rich. All of the research is going to be paid for by your tax dollars in the form of research grants and stuff like that. And then they're going to sell it back to us. And the person that posted it, I think it was actually the, 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 the folks that, uh, well, that's not who, yeah, get Albie. Uh, the, the folks behind the Albi wallet posted this. And, uh, yeah, right now you can see that drone, that little drone that's flying there. If you're seeing the video, it has no batteries. The power is coming from a remote sensor on the roof. When the guy puts his hand over it and blocks the beam, it falls out of the sky. Um, he, at one point in this video, he gets really close to one of these, uh, these transmitters. He goes, Ooh, that's hot. Is it's burning his belly? And he's standing there bullshitting with the guy who doesn't tell him to move out. He says, well, you're kind of close. So I'm just wondering. Of course, they told us how safe this is. It's the specific kind that's safe, right? When you have that much power in a beam coming down from outer space to some sort of reception unit, what could possibly go wrong? This has to be totally safe, right? And I'm not saying that it's not. I'm not saying that it's not. I'm saying that it does seem like something that maybe we shouldn't just say, oh, it'll be fine. Oh, it'll be fine. Um, but I also, the main reason I brought it out today for you guys, I wanted to kind of point out, once again, we're in a position where what's being done in the name of research is actually being done to, to enrich people. And this is the standard way that this happens in our country. They take the tax dollars that you and I pay in. They give it to these companies who do this research because it's supposed to benefit all of mankind. And then we end up having to pay for it as though we didn't fund it in the first place. And this is just this is very, very common. And I, I <laughs> Jeff says he hopes Putin doesn't get his hands on this. If you're not trying to make a joke, dude, I, <laughs> I think you got your, 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 your mind a little bit wrong here. What happens when we get our hands on this, the United States of America? Um, maybe maybe we're not quite the force for good that we claim to be. And maybe we'll hear about that in uh, in just a bit. But I just wanted to bring that one to you. We were going to beam electricity from outer space back to Earth from a satellite. And I guess here's my my thing about this. The entire supposed reason that we would do this is because electricity from solar is intermittent, meaning we can't generate power at night. But we could generate power 365 days out of the year if we were in space doing it. Okay. Okay. Do you know what solves that problem? More panels and a bunch of batteries. Which one else do you think is more doable, affordable, makes more sense? There's this whole litany of technology that's going to save us. James Howard Kunstler calls it too much magic in the mindset. 
And it just, this stuff keeps, also gets regurgitated. Now, this one actually seems like it might work, maybe, right? I don't know if it'll really work at scale the way that they say. And I can see potential for some serious problems with this. What happens when a flock of birds fly through this beam with all this power coming down to some sort of, again, reception point? I can't see this being like point to point. It's going to have to be, it's, it, or, or point to multi-point. It's going to be like point to point. And the reception point then goes multi-point and would then deliver the power as typical across the existing grid. Okay, But this is just another one of these texts that's not really, they said maybe two decades for it to be working at scale. And it's a way to try to defer the discussion on all these electric vehicles. And so, see, we got all kinds of stuff coming for more, more clean power that protects polar bears or something. Um, because they have no idea how they're going to power an electric fleet of vehicles in the United States. They have no idea how to do it. Anybody that can do math can figure out this doesn't work. Uh, you, you, the day you have a 105-degree day and they start telling everybody to turn your thermostat up because the grid can't handle one hot day, and then you start talking about turning 10, 20, 30% of the uh, vehicle fleet in the United States into solar, like it doesn't work. And they keep bringing up all kinds of these weird tech that, that are like this promise that everything's going to be okay. Like it's all going to be like some wonderful sci-fi utopia. I just saw an article a couple weeks ago on this idea. Here's a great idea for ships. The ships use a lot of energy to cross the ocean and bring our stuff. So let's make a giant kite and tie it to the ship. And we're going to pull this giant freighter that's the size of the freaking World Trade Center. We're going to use a kite to pull it across the ocean. This this has been regurgitated like eight times in the last uh, like like 18 years. This that is this. It's literally the same article, the same picture. They just keep bringing it back. And you need to not believe in this bullshit. Like I said, this one may work, but it, it does not affect your life anytime soon. And you have to understand what's being done to manipulate you because it's exactly what's being done to manipulate you. And because we don't want you paying attention to the actual things that actually impact you, because then you might get mad and you want, might want to know why we're not doing anything about it. So let's move on. Let's talk about China's money printer going bird. I'm going to bring up this as a TikTok video and it just happened to catch my eye. And uh, it says billionaire reveals the truth about the economy. I don't know this guy. I don't know if he's really a billionaire. People can put anything they want on TikTok within some limitations. But what he's saying makes absolute sense. And after I listened to this this morning, I went and checked it out, and it vets out 100%. We'll come back and talk about what it means. But we'll also talk about what's not being said here and why China would do this beyond they just want to stimulate their economy domestically and how it actually can be very much a response to our decision to contract, jokingly said, the monetary supply with quantitative tightening. Rates are going to be higher than you want, and they're going to be around for longer than you like. And now Powell is basically telling you the same thing. We're almost at the end of, I think, the bottoming, though. I don't agree with Druckenmiller. I think he's wrong. On which part? That there's going to be a hard landing in Q4? Yeah. Yeah. And, and the reason there's not going to be a hard landing is you just saw China today basically say, we're going to start to rip in trillions of dollars. They're going to stimulate the economy. You can't have a hard landing when China's printing trillions of dollars. Not possible. So I think that what Powell was forecasting is that if China starts to basically turn on the money printer and go through a huge spate of quantitative easing, it's going to just inflate everything. 
because they're just such a critical artery to the world economy. And so you just have to get prepared for rates just being sticky and inflation being sticky. And I think that that's probably the most reasonable base case for the rest of the decade. Rest of the decade, seven more yeah, years. Yeah, yeah. And so in that environment, the problem is that now you have the seven or eight most valuable tech stocks priced to perfection yet again. If you look at their enterprise value over their net income, these things are trading at astronomical yields that are less than half of the two-year note and now approaching sometimes less than half of the 10-year note, government bonds. That makes no sense. And if you subtract out those seven or eight biggest companies in the S&P 500, the S&P has not been a great asset. So the, I think the equal weighted index, Brad, you probably know the exact number. The equal weighted index is just shit. So what does all this mean? I think it means that people are psychologically exhausted with having lost money. They are psychologically wanting to will the market up. They want to psychologically believe whatever will allow them to influence rates getting cut. But I think the most reasonable bear cases, rates aren't getting cut. And whatever hope you had of rates getting cut just went out the window today because there is no world in which you cut rates when China's going to print a trillion dollars. Okay, so uh, while we were watching that, Walt uh, in the chat says that this is a podcast called the All In Podcast. And it's uh, this guy and three other billionaires talking about the news weekly. It's a very good podcast. Well, that's interesting, and that kind of, okay, the guy is a billionaire. You never know who's behind a TikTok account, and I see all kinds of crap put on there that has absolutely nothing to do with, you know, what what's really in the video. So that's good to know. Anyway, when I listen to this, I'm like, well, that makes sense, but is it true? Because, again, when I see something like billionaire says or, you know, you could say all kinds of stuff that promises something from Elon Musk, and he has nothing to do with it, so... You know, being a natural skeptic, I went and said, well, is China printing money? Well, they've been printing money, and they've been printing it heavily since about the middle of last year, and they've continued to print it very, very heavily. And me being me, I think a little bit differently than I think a lot of people do about these types of situations. These guys are concerned with what's the effect. I'm concerned with what is the why. And the, the surface answer is to the why would be, well, China wants to stimulate their economy. Maybe China really doesn't need so much to stimulate their economy. Maybe they want to stimulate ours. Maybe China looks at the United States and says this whole idea that Powell and Yellen have to create a recession is not good for China. Do you get that? You might think, well, China, we're adversaries and they're with Russia and Putin. And uh, why would they care if our economy sucks? Because we're their biggest customer. You don't want your customer to have a recession. You don't want your, if you're in a business, you don't want your customers to lose their jobs. You don't want their, your customers to stop buying your shit. So this is something that people don't really understand. So the Chinese currency has significantly weakened against the dollar since they've done this. And that makes perfect mathematical sense, even in the fiat world of logic, that if one nation is tightening, quantitatively tightening, and the other nation is quantitatively easing, that the nation that's intentionally inflating with the intent of putting more cash into circulation, that currency will weaken against the other currency. And you might think, well, that's bad. Like, why would anybody want to weaken their currency? Don't you only do this when you really don't have another move? 
Well, maybe. Seems how we do it. But China's different than the United States. China is an export economy. They, that's the majority of money that flows in China comes from exportation businesses, right? They're not a big importer compared to their export, right? So when you're, when you're an import heavy economy, like you have a trade imbalance and you're heavier on imports than exports, a weak currency hurts. It hurts because it costs more to buy shit, right? When you're an import economy, you want a strong currency because you can buy more for less. When you're an export economy, it's actually the complete opposite. You want a weak currency. So your relative currency strength is how much your money buys lo you know, locally, domestically. And so that sets kind of its own pricing table. And so by weakening your own currency, you make a stronger export economy. At the same time, you're doing that because you're one of the biggest countries in the world, second largest economy in the world, next only to us. By creating artificial prosperity, you spread your artificial prosperity. So I think this is actually the Chinese saying we don't want a recession in the United States. We don't want a recession there. We don't want a recession in North America, honestly, Canada and the United States being their two biggest customers. We want to make sure this doesn't happen. And this, this affects Europe as well, because the EU is another huge importer of Chinese goods. So I think this is actually China simply saying all these central banks that want to create a recession for their people, we don't want that to happen because it's bad for us. And that's an interconnectability that exists in the world of fiat that allows not just See, this is what you have to understand what that means. That means not only, not only can your government manipulate your currency by printing money or contracting the monetary supply at will, so can other countries that don't have your own best interest at heart. Fiat is a failed experiment. I had somebody uh, upset with me from Friday's show someone who's clearly done well in the fiat space in the manipulation of fiat space. So they will defend that, which has benefited them. And he got really upset about a graph that I showed on Friday that was cumulative inflation since 1913. And he's like, you didn't log the graph right away. I didn't make that graph. That graph was put out by that graph is based on government data. And he was talking about interest rates. That graph had nothing to do with interest rates. That graph was how uh, uh, inflation is cumulative because it doesn't go back down. Yet that would be deflation. And we've had very few instances of true sustained deflation in this country. So with, with uh, uh, inflation, it is, it is a really sickening thing to think about and the mind doesn't really want to. But I mean, I've put up the graph that shows the dollar's value decline by 98% since 1913. And no one ever gets in a wad about that. Oh, yeah, okay. That's just the graph flipped around the other way. What's the net inflation rate? And, and to make it really simple, I don't know if this guy will tune in today or not, um, but he's a wealth advisor. I wouldn't want this guy anywhere near advising me about my wealth based on not understanding this. If inflation the, the last year is 8% and inflation this year is 4%, then the cumulative inflation over two years, 24 months, is 
the fact that inflation cut in half doesn't do anything to the overall inflation because it's cumulative. And it's, it's something that's very hard for people to understand. But it's all because we have a fiat-based system where a few people can make decisions like this. And we should be aware that every major nation in the world has that same capability. And when it's a big nation like China, their manipulation of their uh, currency can have effects on our currency as well. And I, th- I see this as a straight-up Chinese countermeasure to the Federal Reserve and, the, and, and, and uh, Powell and Yellen teaming up to intentionally cause a recession in the United States. And it is their stated goal. Don't think like that's a conspiracy theory. Like what Yellen and, 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 and Powell have both said, the economy's too hot, inflation's too high, it has to be cooled off. That's a nice way of saying we need a recession. We, there's a goal, like a stated goal, to cost like 11 million Americans their jobs. Again, not good for China, China's countermeasure. It's pretty simple. And uh, K-Bong says China, China's a voting member of the UN. Correct. Yes. Yes. I believe they're on the uh, the Human Rights Council, of all things, too. So is Iran, I think, is on the Human Rights Council. That's great. That's just great. That's what we need to look for for advice on that. Next up, just some good news. So uh, let me bring this on the screen. And much like before, I'm not going to play any audio. with. I don't even think uh, there is any audio with this one anyway. But Apple being Apple, decided they didn't like the fact that you and I could be using an iPhone with an app on it called Domus and exchanging money with each other. And they said the reason that they did this is because their policy specifically prohibits the sale of digital products in the app. So, for instance, you can go on to the Apple uh, App Store, you can get the Amazon app, and you can order all kinds of shit off Amazon shipped to your house. No problem. Apple doesn't have a problem. It's a physical good. Okay? But if you've ever been using the Kindle app and you try to buy a Kindle book on your phone, you can't. You can't buy from the phone digital content. You have to go on a computer, log into your Amazon account, buy the book, and then it will be available on your phone for reading. So that was their stated reason. The problem with this is, There is no sale of digital content, at least necessarily, in a zap. A zap is I posted a picture of a monkey about to club a lion that says something about some mistakes are permanent, and you get a laugh out of it that day, spit your coffee out a little bit, and go, you know, I was having a shitty day, Jack. Here's 50 sats, which is like a penny, right? That's what zaps are. But Apple says, but they could be used to purchase digital content and to unlock digital content. Again, everybody can see everything on 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 Noster, i.e. Domus as well, right? And so yeah, there is no unlocking of content. Well, it's a protocol. It's not a platform. So if this happened on a platform, you're absolutely screwed. There's no innovation here. Well, the developer of Domus, in conjunction with people at GetAlby, have created a basic way that you can set up a connection. And then if you post a certain emoji in the comments, that person will get zapped. And it's actually really safe because you can set a daily budget. You can turn it back off, what have you. And all it does is it monitors that feed, your feed and says, oh, he, you know, when he posts this like strongman emoji or whatever in, in a comment, then zap this other account for whatever amount of stats you set 
per zap. Really freaking cool. And whether you're going to use it or not doesn't really matter that it's really cool. What I want you to understand there is the power of moving from a platform-based tech architecture, architecture to a protocol-based tech architecture. architecture okay? Because you just got to work around in about two weeks' time. And I don't know if I had any impact on this or not, but this was literally what I said to do. Now, I said to do it with likes. I said, why can't like your Albi wallet have like a connection to your Noster profile? And if you like a post, send this money. A couple weeks later, boom, it's being done with emojis. And maybe there was a re- I don't know. Maybe I had nothing to do with it, but I mean, I immediately put that out and I know the guy that's the, the developer of Domus and we've, we talked quite a bit and I know he saw that and he responded to it. So whether or not I get any credit for it is, is irrelevant. My, my point is that you can have an idea come to fruition that fast, circumventing one of the largest tech giant corporations in the world's will on their own device in their own app store. Now, what some will say is, well, maybe they'll figure out that this is being done and maybe they'll just kick Domus out of the app store altogether. Well, they can keep doing that if they want to. But what did I tell you two years ago? I said that within five years, maybe six or seven, somewhere in that range, look at your phone, look at all the apps on your phone. And if an app can be monetized so that users are rewarded in some way for using it, that it will be. That it has to happen. And there's plenty of apps that do this already. I use an app called Smiles, like like Miles with an S in front of it. And all it is is a pedometer. And it just tells me how many steps I took that day and how many miles there are. And the reason I got it and got off the health app that Apple natively puts on the phone, I know they track you and shit. I don't care. They can track me all they want. They track me making circles around my house. And most of the time, I don't even have my phone with me. I'm I'm not attached to my phone the way that many people are. Um, But when I do a lot of walking, I just want to know how many miles I put on. And they keep changing the health app. So this wasn't a security issue. This was just every single time I open this damn thing and it updates, I have to go through some other rigmarole bullshit to get steps into miles so that I know how many miles I walk that day. So somebody told me about this app, and I got it, and it turns out they give you Bitcoin based on how much you walk. So the more you walk, the more Satoshis you get. And they have a wheel kind of like folded. You can spin it once a day, and you win some sats every day. Except you don't always win, and when you do win, you don't win very much. A lot of times you win like two sats, and they put this. But my point is that that app exists. The Fountain app exists. You can stream sats to me to listen to my content, but... It really wouldn't work for in-app digital purchases, I guess. So they've left it alone. So there's all these different apps that are already in some way monetized between other users of the app. And it's only going to continue to grow. So if they start pushing that out of their app store, they're obsoleting themselves in the wrong way. Um, You know, of course, the other big tech giant, Apple, Microsoft, right? So Bill Gates is a complete dickhead. And I, I I have no love for the man. But I will quote a person when they're right whether I like them or not. And this is this is old school Bill Gates when he actually still worked at Microsoft. He wasn't traveling around the world uh, using uh, philanthropy to basically destroy people's lives. Um, in one of his books, he said the only companies to survive in the modern era 
will be those that obsolete themselves before their competitors do. So there's a good way to obsolete yourself, and that is to come out with something so new and innovative that your new version replaces the old version. Instead of just keep making the old version more and more intrusive on the lives of your users at Microsoft with Windows. Um, but this is this would not be that. This would be Apple obsoleting themselves and leaving the door completely open to competition. And this is already coming anyway. This idea that we're going to be held hostage by something like an App Store or the Google Play Store is, is, is so outdated already that we're literally going to get to a point where instead of like all this complicated means by which you unlock a phone and run your own OS on it with like graphene or something like that, it, it's going to get to the point where all you're going to have is an Internet-enabled device that is completely independent, has multiple options. It's all going to be protocol-based. And so that's, that's where this side of tech is going. And companies like Apple, they either can embrace that and make a shit ton of money off of it, or it's going to be the whole gradually then suddenly thing. Oh, we're Apple. Nothing can ever happen to us. Oh, okay. Does anybody remember when AOL was one of the biggest companies in the world? Yeah. Uh, it's not so much. Some of you guys too, man. Please get off your AOL email addresses. Hey, Doc Bones, I know you're old, man, but your AOL internet address? Come on, dude. Anyway, moving on. Let's talk about um, Ukraine war a little bit. So two Fridays ago, I talked about the fact that patriotism is often used to lead us into war and to champion a war and to raw a war. But the uh, kind of the opposite side of that, the other pulling into a war is this idea that other nations are never as patriotic as we are. And anybody who we say has a bad leader, their people would just love to get rid of them. And they're not patriotic or what have you. And I, I, I mentioned this, this video that was out of these young people singing this song called I Am Russian. And that I'm just saying that if, if you roll into Russia, you're not going to be welcomed as liberators. That even if you rolled into North Korea, you may not be welcomed as liberators the way you think you would after 70 years of brainwashing and propaganda of the North Korean people. I'm certainly not at that point. I'm not making a case for how great Kim Jong Il or Ung or whoever that King, Kim Jong Ding Dong is. Right. Uh, I, I'm just stating a fact that other nations have patriotic people who will defend their country. But what what I didn't even say then. But I, I think is 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 relevant today. If you watch that little short video, it's only like 20 seconds long, and you see these kids. These, I found out what this video is of after that episode because I wasn't sure. I had heard it was a corporate event, it was a government event. It turns out it's basically a graduation ceremony, like when the senior class finishes their final exams for the year. They have a great big party, just like kids do anywhere else in the world. And it was like a, a formal party for that. I don't think you can show me a group of young Americans, 17, 18, 19-year-old kids like that, singing that proud and that supportive of their own country. I don't think you can show me that. And I don't like that fact. I'm not saying that to make like, oh, look how great Russia is. Do I live in Russia? No, I don't. And if I really wanted to, I could. And I don't. So that tells you what I've, what I've chosen, where I've chosen to be, is right here as an American. I'm just acknowledging that. we, Our young people are not proud of this country. And if you think, 
If you think they are, I, I, I dare you to prove that they are in mass. I'm not saying there's no young people who are patriotic. I'm saying as a group, American teenagers and early 20-somethings are not proud of their country. And it's not as new as you think it is. I remember being freshly out of the military and having people say shit to me like, America sucks. And like at that point in my life, you, I mean, I was hackles up ready to whoop somebody's ass over that statement. And, and having to remind myself of what my drill sergeants and my NCOs in permanent party taught me about why you're defending a country is because other people can talk like that. But that, that was 30 years ago, guys, right? That's 30 years, and I remember those comments. We have a moral decay in our nation, and that's making people not appreciate how great it is to be here. But what I can really tell when these people make these comments, first of all, this dude that made this comment about how it's all propaganda, I'm like, if you were listening to that episode, you know that I said, I am going to say something and you are going to ignore it, and you're going to be angry and email me and make bad comments anyway, even though I'm about to say what I'm about to say. And the next thing I said is I'm sure this song, these videos, et cetera, are part of Russia's propaganda scheme. And then I get told I'm being deceived by propaganda. I'll tell you what you're being deceived by. You're being deceived by propaganda, not me. I'm not the one that has a favorite in this fight. I've stated I think Russia will win this war because I can do math and I can do force-on-force -force analysis and when you have a country that has 10 times the manpower of another country and the country at the deficit of manpower is losing soldiers at a ratio of eight to one, then that math just doesn't square out for the, the you know, the, for the Ukrainians. I'm sorry. It doesn't. So unless you're willing to commit to World War freaking three and bring Europe and North America into that war, which I don't think is a good idea. I'm just saying then mathematically, this is a known eventually. But the bigger thing, those of you that get very upset with me about this, I can tell one thing. You don't know anything about the situation at all. You don't know anything about how we got to where we are in Russia. You haven't listened to me explain it to you because I've explained it ad nauseum. And I've been right in how I've explained it. And you can actually explain a thing and not take a side. See, I'm a non-interventionist. That means that Ukraine and Russia have a problem with each other over a piece of Ukraine called Donbass. And it's not that I think Russia should have it or Ukraine should have it. It's that I don't think it's the United States' business who has it. And I think that the problem in Ukraine was caused by us in 2014, which you, the people who are upset with me, also do not understand. So I found a resource for you. This gentleman's name is Colonel Douglas, Douglas McGregor. And I really highly recommend... You listen to a 30-minute video. I have a link to today's show notes. And then educate yourself of the situation. Because this is something I've been trying to teach for 15 years now. You should not have a heated, expressed opinion about something that you're not informed about. What are you afraid that if you get informed about it, you'll find out that I'm telling you the truth and you don't like that? That's exactly what it is. It's like a preemptive form of cognitive dissonance. You, you absolutely know I'm not making this shit up, and you don't like it, so you keep pushing back. Go listen to this guy. This guy's a retired United States Army officer. He served for 27 years. He's a well-known commentator. He was an advisor to the freaking president of the United States. He was asked his opinion about our actions and, going in and, and getting involved with this shit in Ukraine. 
And, and our government told him they won't do it. Russia will not invade. And he said, yes, they will. And they didn't listen to him. And he was right. This dude is this. This guy would probably not like me because he would see me as anti-American, even though I'm not. I'm sure he wouldn't like me because I'm an anarchist. He is the kind of guy you would expect to rah-rah your bullshit. But he's actually a student of history. And he's actually examined this. And I really suggest that you check out what he has to say about it. The next thing I want to talk to you, though, about is our government has now committed a war crime, according to its own judgment. So Politico has this article out. There's, you can find this article or these, these stories uh, in, in various articles if you know to look for them. This is the kind of thing that our media is always doing. They'll create an article about it so it looks like they gave the thing coverage, but they won't put it, you know, as we say, above the fold. They won't make it one of their main stories, even though it should be. And there's a story inside this story that should be the bigger story. If you're worried about the United States having an ability to defend itself while it provokes a freaking potential war with Russia and or China, we, you might want to pay attention to one little thing here. So there's something called a cluster bomb, and you're looking at a, a shell head here. And what a cluster bomb is, is you see this big shell. Well, ge generally when you fire a shell or like there's rocket systems like the MLRS system can deliver these payloads as well. Um, you've got this one big charge, and wherever that thing lands, boom, it blows it up. Cluster bombs have essentially they're like little grenades, like a whole cluster of little grenades. And they actually detonate above a target, and then they spread out these little grenades in a huge area. The MLRS system uh, puts about 644, if I remember right, uh, in an area about the size of a football field. So imagine six, 700 M67 fragmentation grenades evenly dispersed across a football field. This is actually a terrible weapon. Uh, it was referred to during the Iraq war as the first war, Bush seniors war, as steel rain. It was very effective. It did make a lot of Iraqis surrender very, very quickly. Uh, since that time, though, many nations have banned this weapon and consider it an illegal weapon of war because instead of it can't be precision targeted. And when you're dealing with warfare in an area where there's increasingly urban uh, warfare built, you know, you got people living in houses and then you've got the enemy taking up positions in housing adjacent to people that are just living there. You, you, you really have to stick to as much as you can. If you're going to have anything that even approaches what I guess you'd call ethical warfare, which is an oxymoron if there ever was one, something that's more precise so at least if a shell goes astray, okay, the shell goes astray, a horrible thing happens, a friendly fire incident, what have you, civilian casualty sucks, but it's part of war, collateral damage. With this type of weapon, once you move into population centers with them, you are absolutely guaranteeing collateral damage. And our government's response is basically, hey, it's terrible, Ukrainians will die, but it would be worse for Ukraine if Russia wins. Okay. Well, that makes sense. But there's a bigger reason. I don't know if any of you guys have um, read the, these articles at all. But it's interesting what is being said by our government about why we've chosen to give this to Ukraine. 
it's not because it's a game changer like the title of that article says, right? Game changer or war crime. Though that implies it could be a game changer. No, it's not that they're dramatically effective at taking out Russian positions. The Russians have, as far as the front lines, have extremely three-layer fortified positions right now and are quite capable of protecting themselves from this, at least on the front. Why? <laughs> oh, what do you hear this? This should make you go, holy shit, what are we doing? Because we don't have enough conventional shells to give them. Kind of out. We're out of the surplus that we're sending to Ukraine. Wait, 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 wait. Hold, 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 hold on a minute. Don't we need this weaponry for our military while we're poking the bear and the tiger at the same time? Is it really smart for us to so deplete our stocks of our, our weaponry that we have to give weaponry we don't want to give to Ukraine because we're out of the other stuff? Do, do, do you feel me that that's maybe not a good thing for U.S. national defense? That's kind of stupid. Like, we're out of this, so we have to give them that. Now, where do I get this idea that the government, our government, the Biden administration, is admitting to war crimes? Because last year, when Paskey was still around, right, Deadhead Red, who's infinitely smarter than Corrine Jean-Pierre. Like, I told you guys that when they said she was leaving, uh, Paskey was leaving, and the uh, KJP was coming in. I'm like, you're going to find out this woman is not as stupid as you think she is. Um, she said that the administration strongly felt that if Russia were to use cluster bombs, that that would be a war crime. So the Biden administration is on record saying this is a war crime, and a year later they're giving these weapons to Ukraine simply because we're out of the other stuff. I, I don't know, guys. I think that's a problem. I, I, I really think that's a problem for the United States from a military readiness standpoint. And it shows you what we've done to ourselves. Now let me tell you what I think is really going on with all this shit in Ukraine right now. There is no way that our government believes for a minute, for a minute, that Ukraine is going to win this conflict. I have no idea what their end game is. If their end game is anything sane, it eventually results in some sort of agreed upon truce and, 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 and what have you. And Russia's not giving up Donbass now. They've got too much into it, right? They're not going to give it up. And militarily, they have no real reason to think that they need to. So I don't know how they get out of this. But what's really going on here? We are testing weapons systems and improving them in Ukraine at the expense of a very high Ukraine body count. Over the, the last big counteroffensive that Ukraine's launched, they lost 13,000 people. If you go back to right after the Soviet Union fell, Ukraine was a country of about 90 million people. 90 million. By the time this war started, they were down to like 30, 40 million. I don't remember what the exact number is. And millions have left in the middle of this conflict. There's not a lot of young women are gone. They've gone into Europe and they've gone into Russia. This whole, you know, the song uh, that Dropkick Murphys did a, a cover of, um, uh, Greenfields of France. There's a very powerful line in that. It's about World War One, and it says a whole generation were butchered and damned. This is what's happening to Ukraine right now. They're not going to have any, yeah, 18 million. That's how many people are left in Ukraine. It's gone from a nation of 90 million people to 18 million people. 
It's been gutted. It is our it is our weapons testing playground. And uh, Al says Russia's made money off of this. Yes, they have. They have. All our sanctions have done nothing. It, it, they've done absolutely nothing. But yeah, Mark says what's what's the problem with cluster bombs? It's a war, and you kill people one way or another. I guess you missed where I explained it, how it guarantees civilian casualties, and how our own government said it was a war crime if Putin did it, but now our government's giving them to the Ukrainians. Mark, I suggest you keep drinking your fluoride. It's doing wonders for you. Anyway, moving on. Um, now for something even crazier. There's a new movie that just came out. And it's doing really well. And it is enraging the left and the leftist military uh, media, like enraging them. I mean, just absolutely enraging. them. Sound of freedom. You know what it's about? It's about child trafficking. It's based on a real story of a real guy who got tired of not being able to actually save children working for our government and arresting child traffickers and pedophiles because he was able to catch the people doing it, but not save the kids. And so he started going out and rescuing children from around the world and exposing this for what it is. So they take an actor, they build a movie on it. I'm sure there's some parts of the movie that aren't exactly 100% factual. That's how movies work. And they put this movie out. And like I said, it sells more tickets and it's release week. It goes up against Indiana Jones and it has better numbers than Indiana Jones. Not by a huge margin, but a margin at all. That says something. I mean, you t I think Indiana Jones turned out to be a terrible remake or uh, last movie or whatever you want to call it. it if it wasn't going to be the last one, it will be now. But people didn't know that going in. Like, you put out a, a, another Indiana Jones movie, there's a whole shitload of people that are just going to go. And this thing did better. So, of course, the left is upset about it. Um, there's a lot of examples of it. But I want to show you this one. <laughs> this was put out by Rolling Stone. And uh, this is the headline. Sound of Freedom is a superhero movie for dads with brain worms. And it just, I, I'm not going to read it to you because I didn't even read it all because my IQ started to go down reading it. It is, look at this, if you're watching. It is a book. I mean, you have to be triggered to write a movie review. It's this long. Only because you thought it was gone, didn't you? It's not gone. I'm still scrolling. I'm still scrolling. I'm still scrolling. Right? The only reason Rolling Stone can afford to do this now is because they're publishing digitally. They couldn't afford that much high-value high paper in an offline publication, I don't think. Um, but this is a movie that I think you should see. I am excited to see it. I'm going to want to see it. Again, I'm sure there's parts of it... Um, that, that have some embellishment to some things because it's an action movie and what have you. But he was he was really upset that there were people cheering. The person that wrote this was upset there were people cheering. Apparently, there's one really moving part of this 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 movie where the main main actor says, "God's children are not for sale." Boy, that really triggered the liberal that wrote this article. Oh, wow. He said, they, there's some people that even said amen when they heard that. Oh, dear God, the horrors. Look, 
I yeah, the review is longer than the movie. It seems like it. Look, I have always had some healthy skepticism with all of like you know the con- the, the conspiracy theories about pedophilia and what have you. But I'm at a point in my life now where I have to believe there's something to them. That doesn't mean that all of them are spot on or whatever, but I, I believe there's something to them. I really do. I just watched a video with a close-up microphone turned up of Joe Biden sniffing a kid and then telling this little girl, now don't tell your mama what I said. Okay? <laughs> like, there's something here. And there's something that we need to really understand about this. This, this article makes a real attempt to try to claim that the problem isn't as big as this organization that's featured in the movie, the real organization claims. It's not as big. It's not that big of a problem. I mean, of course, it's terrible, but it's not that big of a problem. It's, it's not that large. There's not that much going on. It's a multi-tens of billion dollar industry. And this is why I believe that a lot of really wealthy people are part of the problem. And I don't mean that the people doing it are making lots of money and they're the wealthy people I'm talking about. I'm talking about the wealthy assholes that are the customers. Because it's not cheap, is it? What do you, what do you think a kid sells for? Do you think this is all a bunch of pervos living in a trailer park? This is There's money in this. And there's there's clearly a protection racket going on. And I'm going to tell you, I have some inside source on some of this stuff. And it's worse than you think it is. And the problem is as big as it's made out to be because it is. And anybody who would protect anybody involved in this is scum. Absolute. Like there's there's like pawn scum. And then beneath the pawn scum is like the scum with the maggots in it in the bottom of the garbage can. And you're below that if you would defend anybody that has any part in this. And somebody says something about rich people buying organs and stuff. And if you know that's where you're getting an organ from, and if you're getting a black market kidney, you probably do. You're scum, too. I know you don't want to die. I know you need an organ transplant or whatever. But, man, I'm telling you, there there is there is an entire apparatus designed to protect this. And when I look at what's going on in society today, I feel like the entire thing is going under an attempt for normalization. Right. That, you know, pedophiles aren't criminals. They just are minor attracted persons. That's that's a term that the fucking mainstream is actually using minor attracted person. Right. When I was a kid, if a teacher had talked to a child in school, we're talking kindergartners here, first graders, second graders about sex and then said, don't tell your parents what we talked about. And that got out that teacher would have been arrested for their own protection at that point. It would have been complete. I mean, I'm talking, you start messing with people's kids. That's where peaceful people become dangerous people when you start messing with their kids. And that leads me to something here. That leads me to something here. I do think there's a protected class of rich bastards behind this. And I don't think they'll give it up. But is this what it really looks like? Or is, is the, I mean, this has the potential to turn the United States into something that looks like Nazi Germany with today's technology. The political pendulum in this country swings. We know that. We know that it swings. It swings to extremes, by the way. 
I have seen every single political makeup of the government in our country possible. I've seen a Supreme Court weighted to the liberals. I've seen it weighted to conservatives. I've seen it very close to balanced. I have seen the Senate and the House divided with a, with a president of one side or the other. I have seen it united with a president of the other party, and I have seen it unified on both sides. This will swing at some point to the right. And boy, would it be an opportunity to make all of the people being protected right now out to be the villains. And it would be very hard for anybody to find a lot of compassion that's enraged about this as much as I am. But I know the danger of the long-term trajectory of the country if you go that way. But they'll, they'll flip it either direction. They don't really care who the bad guy is. They'll use whoever's convenient at the time. And we know what the march of tyranny is in this country. It's toward fascism. This is a fascist country, and it becomes more fascist the longer we go. Everybody's so worried about socialism. And you're not understanding that socialism or fascism is just a type of socialism. And you might look at this and go, well, we're not national socialists. We'll have the national fever, and you just said that the young kids aren't patriotic. <laughs> okay. The, 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 the commonality in all forms of government is the elite class in that government, the protected class in that government, is doing everything to the benefit of their side just for them. So they are doing what they're doing for the benefit of the America from their viewpoint. And it doesn't have to be, that's Nazism, not necessarily fascism. The two are different things. Fascism is a system of economic control. It is a system where the government and industry work together and leverage the differences between the classes to the further the goals of both industry and government. You tell me that's not what we have. And who knows, who knows where this could go in the future? Because the more this is put in our face, the more common and level-headed people get to this attitude of, yeah, God's children are not for sale. And if you're not religious... You still, children should not be for sale. That is one of the most fundamental truths that any person could ever speak. And anybody that's upset because somebody said it is a sick person. Whoever the person is that wrote that article, I don't even want to know their name. Because if I, if I ever came by them in, in the world, I'd be strongly, strongly motivated to break their freaking jaw. It is a sickness to defend 1% of this. A half a percent is a sickness. You're a sick person. Sick-minded individual to think that it would ever be okay in any way to do these things to children. Allowing children to have their genitals mutilated. It's not gender-affirming care. It's genital mutilation. Before they reach the age of legal consent is sick. To advocate for it is sick. And this country is sick. It's mentally sick. It's physically sick. It's emotionally sick. Only a sick society would allow this to occur at the scale that it's occurring. And there's a whole bunch of people that aren't okay with it. And if I had to pick the one thing that has the most simmering anger in the country, of the simmering anger of the decent human being, it's this. And it's bigger than I think anybody realizes. 
And the people in power, you think, well, then they'll be afraid of that. No, they'll use it. They don't care. They don't care if the left boot or the right boot is the one taking the step. They just care that the giant keeps going forward. And I'm telling you guys, I'm telling you, this is another reason we can never allow ourselves to be disarmed. We can never allow it. Because who the hell knows? Like, I'm not talking about the American Revolution 2.0 or anything here. I'm talking about if this shit goes sideways enough, I'm just talking about having the ability to protect yourself from crazy people. Because you think if we had a society where only the cops had guns, that you'd be protected from safe from, from crazy people? And I know what we always say, and we're right about this, bad people will get guns if they try hard enough. They really will. But you know a country that's done really great at keeping people from getting, getting guns is China. I'm not saying it's a good thing that they've done it. I'm just saying that they, they have. Like, there's probably not a country that has been more successful at keeping guns out of the hands of the average person than China. Well, they just had a stabbing at a kindergarten. Six children are dead in school. Now, somebody in an American school went in and killed six children with a gun, right? Or, you know, even if they didn't know it was a gun yet, they just know that six kids were killed in a kindergarten class. Your media would be out shrieking about AR-15s, even if an AR-15 got nowhere near the place. But you won't hear much about this. This is, again, you can find this story on almost every major news outlet I have checked. You have to look for it. And earlier this year, there was something like 23 people killed in a mass stabbing in China. There's been a shitload of mass stabbings since the COVID started and stressed everybody out. The big giant mind screw that was done to people, especially in China, where they literally welded people in the buildings. But, oh, if we didn't have guns, then there wouldn't be any of these mass killings. Well, there you go. There's six small children killed by one lunatic with a knife. Now... There is the whole jo joke about bringing a knife to a gunfight. And then there's all the crap about the 21-foot taller drill that we talked about recently, so we won't rehash it. Um, but there is a truth here. If you have a knife and I have a gun, especially if you're going after somebody else, I'm going to kill you. You are woefully unprepared to take me on at distance when I have a handgun and you have a knife. You're going to end up dead. Or you're going to get a shit shot out of you anyway. And what stops somebody from doing this is people with guns. Because if you pull a gun out, especially in a state like Texas or Florida, I'm sorry, a knife out in a place like Texas or Florida in public and you try to stab somebody, you know that there is a very, very, very high probability that you're going to get some lead pills. You know it. If you just go out in a state like Texas and you just are in an area where there's 40 or 50 people around, there's probably somebody out of that 40 or 50 with a gun on them, and it's probably a couple somebody's. You're going to get pinata shot. I mean, you just from multiple angles, you're going to be in a crossfire if you try that shit. And this is why the primary place that people do these mass shootings in our, uh, our country is in places like schools where there are no guns because it's the safest place to be a mass killer. But don't ever think, don't ever think for a minute that the only reason we have the Second Amendment is so we can protect ourselves from the government. The Second Amendment is a multifaceted thing. It's the security of a free state. The security of a free state is not just its borders and, and the threat of foreign invasion, and it's not just the threat of the government enacting a tyranny over its own people. 
it's the, the the innate human right of self-defense is what the Second Amendment was really about. What our founders knew was that one person had to be able to defend themselves against others, and arms were the highest level of equalization. That if you went and tried to rape a 65-year-old woman that had a double-barrel freaking muzzle-loading shotgun, and she ripped a hole in your guts the size of a pie tin, then it worked. They were okay with that. They were okay with that. We can never allow ourselves to be disarmed. It's not just about, you know, the crazy stuff about, you know, camps and shit like that. Or blue helmets coming. It is about the ability to defend yourself, your family, your property, and others. It is a self-defense right. That is, in fact, what makes it an inalienable, innate human right. Only an idiot would say, if you try to hurt me, I don't have a right to defend myself. Now, there are idiots that will say it. I just totally disagree. Right. I don't, I think, you know, like common sense is on my side there. And arms are simply the most efficient means at which we have to defend ourselves, our, our family, our homes and others. And it's probably the thing that's kept things the most in check in this country from a completely devolving into the kind of shit that's going on in France right now. It really is. And this is why we have things in like in Texas, the castle doctrine. Because it's enshrining into law your right of self-defense. I don't have a duty to retreat from you. You're the one attacking me. Why would I have a duty of retreat? You're trying to kill me. People get killed while we're treating. Anyway, that's uh, all I got for you on the, the, the hard topics today. I do want to just talk a little bit more about this idea that I have of someday building a TSP community. I guess the way that we would look at this first would be a pilot community. Maybe there'd be more after that. I don't know. We'd see how it went. That's what you do, pilot projects. But just to be completely clear, my idea is if I can find the right piece of property, the right proximity to where I am so I can step foot on it any day that I need to, because uh, that's an absolute. Like I've had people like, well, can you build one in Maine? No, I can't. I'm sorry. No, I wouldn't even think about it. Not because I don't like Maine, because it's not here. Um, but it would be an outright sale. Of a lot. I would subdivide the property. And again, the property would have some overriding. I, 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 I hate calling it a POA or an HOA and more like a land covenant, basically a land use covenant. You'd know going in. And mostly I would be I would be dictator in determining what that is, because I'm the one that has to put up all the skin in the game to get this this going. But you would buy the lot. It's your lot. And then I would like that to have some way that we can manage and maintain the community property. So there would be some sort of ongoing fee because there has to be, I don't think it has to be huge, but you know, you, you basically have to maintain a system like that. You have to maintain roads, more roads, not the government building them for you. Now you're talking probably gravel dirt, but there's still a significant cost. And I've had people already want to go way much bigger, you know, more, no, no more land, more people, more infrastructure, more expense, and more risk overall as well. Um, I also think smaller communities, you know, maybe 20 home sites, maybe 15, I don't know. It all depends on what you find and how we can make it work. It's a much tighter-knit community. I've had people asking, would I be able to live there temporarily? Well, it's yours. I'm not going to tell you how to use your property, but I think it would make a lot of sense that we'd want some people permanently living there as well. 
I also would like to create some kind of common infrastructure uh, or common support structure. In other words, have something like, I don't know if it's even going to be feasible for this to be an on-grid community. It might have to be an off-grid community to make it work. I don't know. I would actually prefer not to do that because it's very hot here and it would require very specific construction techniques to make off-grid work in Texas. That ups cost. Um, but I would never buy a property that can't at least have power to some of the property. And I would want to do it in a way that you could go to the bank and get a construction loan because most people don't have money to just dump out. Uh, one guy asked, he said, you know, I would buy a lot and put a double wide on it. And, you know, if you're off grid, that's not really very feasible because try to cool a double wide trailer in Texas with a solar power based system. So I don't know exactly what this looks like yet. A lot of it would have to do with finding the right property and then analyzing the property, making a master plan. And one thing I would point out is, you know, when I say, you know, let's say you had 50 acres and 21 acre home sites, a lot of people would look at that and think, well, you'd have those home sites like all over the place and lots of open space in between. I think this would be much more a close community with large plot of land adjacent, because when I looked at doing this before, I, I, I understand why a lot of subdivisions are built the way that they are now. It has to do with infrastructure costs. So it, you would picture yourself knowing your neighbors because they're over there. I don't mean postage stamp lots or nothing here, but houses pretty much being able to see each other. You know, um, I keep getting requests for more details. I don't have more details. There are no more details. This is a vision in my head that won't let me go. It won't let me go. It won't release me. I pretty much after perma ethos fell apart and it was never what I really wanted anyway. It was an attempt to make something work. Partnerships have problems as well. I said, I'm going to let this go. This is somebody else's thing to do. And I've been unable to. I keep thinking you have this platform, you have this interest, you have these people, people want to do this. There has to be a way to do this in a way that's very approachable to people, at least somewhat affordable. I look at land, you know, I find pieces of land that are like 50, 50 acres, 60 acres for a couple hundred thousand or three hundred thousand dollars. Somewhere between you know, like 180 and 300. And they're laid out well. They're not long, narrow strips, and they have resources around them, like they have creeks in them. And you can look at the soil types and go, definitely you could put in ponds and dams there. Like, I feel like this is such a doable thing done the right way. And uh, so it won't let me go. So I'm going to keep analyzing. I'm going to keep looking. I had some guy email me, and I'm not putting him down or anything, but he sent me this piece of property, and it's like a million-dollar piece of property. I'm like, no, it doesn't it doesn't fit this model, and I don't think we need that. Um, I think what we need is a way, like, if we can do this in a way that literally it can be templatized to the point where, like, if, if it's not me doing another one, somebody else does another one, like, here it is. This is what you do. Here's Because you do have to look at some things like what are some legal structures that could be incorporated. I think a co-op fits into this. Um, I think it fits into it very well. I think there's got to be a way to make it work. There's got to be a way to make it work. And if I do it, it will be in Texas. It will be no more than three to three and a half hours maximum from my house. It will probably be east 
of the Metroplex, not west, because everything gets drier and rockier the further west you go. You're heading toward the desert. Back that way is, you know, east is toward the forest. So we're, we're somewhere probably in the Piney Woods, maybe down southeast of Dallas, possibly something like that. Um, I understand that you live in whatever state you live in and you don't want to move to Texas. Okay, then build your home. Uh, but that's just where I'm at with it. And I, and I hope that it, uh, I hope that it's something that I eventually figure out exactly, uh, how to do. With that, I want to remind you guys, you like the show and the work that I do. You can always help support me just by doing your online shopping at tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. And, uh, if you shop there, no matter what you buy, you support us and the work that we do. All you got to do is start your shopping there. The item of the day I have for you today is one I haven't brought around for quite a while. It's a four-in-one immersion blender, and it does four different things. And I only use two of them, and I think it excels for those two. Uh, since I don't make a lot of smoothies or anything, I don't really use it for that. But I use it as an immersion blender. When I have something in a, in a pot that's hot and I don't really want to pour it into a blender, I use the immersion blender. That's why I bought it. If you read the write-up, I talk about how my wife and I used to make a lot of this squash soup for especially workshops. And, I mean, when you make soup for a workshop for 80 people, it's a lot. And so batching screaming hot napalm-level soup back and forth between a Vitamix, it's not fun. And so I'm like, I'm going to get an immersion blender. So I started looking for them, and I don't like unitaskers. I found this one. And the extra features that I prop, and I use this probably more than anything else, is that little right there, mini food processor. So basically the, uh, the, uh, the power end plugs into the top of the little mini food processor and you have really great control, different speeds, you can pulse it. And I do a lot of things that really benefit from having a food processor. I also have a great big uh, Proctor Silex uh, 12 cup uh, food processor and it works great. It's just really big and it's a lot of work to clean it. So unless I'm processing enough to justify getting it out, I use this thing. I use it all the time. I use it for, you know, busting up nuts, for instance, would be one thing that we would use it for. Fresh herbs, all kinds of great stuff. And it just works really, really well. Uh, great price. Check it out. And you can always find out what the item of the day is just by going to tspaz.com. You can always help us out. Even if you don't buy something we're recommending, just start your shopping there. Get on the Daily Mail. That's the best way not to miss any of this stuff. Let's go to the survivalpodcast.com, click on Daily Mail, fill out a form, and once a day you'll get an email from me with just what's new on the site. That's all that it is. It, there's no graphics or anything. It's just straight text. Anybody that's been on it will tell you. it's I don't spam people. It's just, hey, here's what's new at TSP. Uh, you can also follow me on social media. Noster is a great way to do that. I am more active on Noster than all the other platforms put together. I will tell you that. So a lot of people are like, you're still on Twitter? I see you on Twitter. Yep, I post episodes and stuff like that, and occasionally I might comment on a thing or two, but the reality is I put a lot of effort into communicating with people and conveying ideas on Noster. You might even want to check out a hashtag on whatever your favorite Noster client is, Jack Slots. I put some pretty good long-form articles up there as well, uh, explaining things at a deeper level. I really believe that protocols are the future. It's the only way we're going to take back our freedom. Uh, I told you about a lot of crazy crap going on today. And understand something about freedom. It has to be taken. No one will ever give you freedom. No one will ever give you freedom, ever. And when you try to give freedom to a people, they always reject it. 
People that won't take freedom don't take it because they're not ready for it. Um, I really would like to encourage you, if you're a person who generally skips episodes about Bitcoin or technology or, dare I say it, AI, don't skip tomorrow's episode. I'll be doing an episode of Bitcoin Breakout tomorrow. Yes, they're my least uh, attended episodes. I know that, but I won't ever stop. Uh, if you tune in tomorrow, I think you'll find out a great degree about why. We're going to actually talk about the integration of Bitcoin with artificial intelligence tomorrow and probably not the way that you think. And when I explain to you how that's already happening and why it's happening, I think it will open your mind up to a large degree about what the future really looks like, the good and the bad. Because in the end, what we're going to talk about tomorrow is the requirement that you have a absolute finite resource being necessary to limit something that is otherwise infinite. Like, I don't know, spam bots. And you might think, oh, I know what he's going to say. No, you don't. No, you don't. Now, if you listen to Guy Swan's most recent episode of AI Unchained, you might have an idea. But we're going to go even beyond that. And we're going to talk about some really exciting things that are going on with Bitcoin, AI, and Noster. We're going to talk about the fact that this, this next bull cycle with Bitcoin, is, is, as much as people say they missed the opportunity, no, you're missing the opportunity. There are some fundamentals at play here that have not been at play in previous cycles. Um, this is going to be parabolic, what happens in the next halving. And so we'll talk about that. We'll talk about how this all integrates with Noster. We're going to talk about how if we do the thing, if, like, if the roadmap that's already there continues to progress the way that it is, we're going to end up in a, a situation where, yeah, yeah, we're not asking. We're just doing. And that's what that's what liberty looks like. That's what liberty looks like. Liberty doesn't look like, please, sir, may I please have some freedom? Oh, yes, you've been good. You can have some freedom today. And here's a little bit of bonus chocolate. You get a little extra chocolate this week. Some of you know where that's from. Some of you need to read more. Right. That's not what freedom looks like. Freedom looks like, hey, I'm just doing my shit, and I don't really care what you say or what you did. I don't really care. And that doesn't mean doing things in a really stupid way where you end up in the clink. It means being creative about the way you do things to be ungovernable. Freedom is the art of being ungovernable. That's what we're going to talk about tomorrow. With that, take care, guys. I'll catch you tomorrow. Just run you around. You should have a house the American way. A dollar down, a dollar a month, and you never have to pay. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. Yeah.